Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. Today's episode is returning to what children go through as they're going through puberty, particularly most girls. Last spring in 2021, I had some episodes on what girls typically will experience, yet we need to revisit because it's always a great topic to talk about. And I have had the pleasure of getting connected with Dr. Marnie Summer. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Marnie Summer. Would you please say hi to our audience and introduce a little bit about who you are as well as your background? Sure. And thank you. It's absolutely a delight to be here today. And I totally agree. We can't talk about this topic enough. And there's always different angles we need to cover. So uh, my name's Marnie Summer. I'm an associate professor of sociomedical sciences, which is a lot of words, uh, at the Mailman School of Public Health at Columbia University. And my background training is in nursing and public health. So I've been a professor looking at, studying at issues of adolescent health, menstruation, all sorts of things around the world, more recently in the United States for the last number of years. But on the side of that, I've also always had, or for 12 years now, a nonprofit called Grow and Know, which is focusing on puberty books for girls and boys around the world. So I can talk about that today. We have a model we use that led to the book that we're going to talk about here, uh, our most recent book here in the United States. So uh, looking forward to it. Thank you again for being here. And your new book is titled A Girl's Guide to Puberty and Periods, new body positive book designed to help girls understand what to expect about puberty and everything else that goes with it. Would you first explaining to our audience what body positive is? We try to do that in the health education classrooms to have young people understand what that means. But in in your eyes, what does body positive mean? Great question. And I'm really glad that it's what sort of the health education folks are learning about and thinking about and talking about. I think very simply for the my team and, and the co-authors who developed the book and the research we did behind the book, which was directly with girls, but I also talked to parents and teachers and school nurses and, and youth-focused nonprofits. So we really talked to lots of people. It was to make any young person who reads this book to come away from it feeling good about their body, to feel empowered about the changes that are happening, to not be embarrassed, to not feel shy or any sense of shame, and also to capture sort of the diversity of how bodies turn out. Um, And one of the things that I loved when we were field testing the book with a bunch of girls um, was girls sort of pointing to images of girls throughout the book, all different ages, all different sizes, all different hair colors, uh, and just saying, I'm so glad that this shows you keep emphasizing everything is normal, everything is natural, or or just that there is this range of what we all look like. All of our bodies look somewhat the same and somewhat different. And just sort of emphasizing uh, the normalcy of that along with, we really want you to feel good about your body. I even hear sometimes from college folks that they think their body's supposed to look like something else. It's like, no, that's you. That's your body. And we need to honor our bodies and how we grow into our bodies. And as we age in our bodies, it's about respecting our bodies and taking care of it. I really appreciate that approach, that body positive approach. 
May I ask why you wrote the book? Sure. So I wrote the book. There's a bit of a long story. I won't get into all the details, but I grew up, I went to an all-girls school growing up in Baltimore, Maryland. I went on to college. Um, I was very fortunate to, to sort of have a good education. And then after I graduated, I went off to the Peace Corps in East Africa. And I was in a little country called Eritrea. And one of the things the government asked us to do, this was back in the 90s, was to focus on girls because there was a, not as many girls were in school, not as many girls were finishing school, they were leaving. And the implication was that it had something to do with puberty. Um, so puberty and girls' experiences in education in other parts of the world, there are lots of reasons that may be happening. But as I started to dive into the issue of why are they leaving at puberty, and I started to look at this issue of periods and how periods may have something to do with that, I realized that in that particular culture, there was really silence around what happens to your body, what is normal, not to be afraid of your period. And then as I started to look in all different countries of the world, including my own, I discovered, you know, why are we not talking about this? Why are so many girls getting their first period and thinking something terrible has happened to them? You know, why do people not get honest and thoughtful information and guidance so they feel supported? It can be such an awkward experience for, for all young people, you know, who, who go through it and your body's changing in weird ways, people are treating you differently, uh, they're reacting to you. And, and that is such an overwhelming experience, but yet we can, if we give young people information and support and understanding, really transform that into something positive. And I would say the other reason I did, so, so I thought of a book because I love to read. And I was thinking back when I first started to look into this issue more formally, which is when I was doing research again in another country, I thought, you know, when I grew up, I read the Judy Bloom books and they talked to me all about my body and what was, you know, but they were very text heavy books, not in a bad way. I love to read, but I wanted to come up with a book that one was appealing in an illustrated way, but also that had girls at the center, that it wasn't an adult telling them about their body and everything that was happening, but that really captured girls' own stories about their first periods, their own questions that they wanted answered, and that even though there would be basic puberty guidance in the book, a good chunk of that book would also be girls' own stories, their questions. And so it was like a girl by a book by girls for girls, as it were. What I understand, you have actual young people look at the book and provide input. Is that correct? Not only do they provide input, but they write the story. So what we did for the book in the U.S., A uh, Girl's Guide to Puberty and Periods, is we collected, we did a number of things. We did research with adolescent girls in New York, L.A., and Chicago. We talked to them about their experiences. We asked, we had them submit their questions to us. We, we had them design a puberty curriculum. We had them write their first period stories, but they write them anonymously, so they feel very comfortable sharing what happened when they got their first period. But I didn't feel that having three states or three cities, as it were, was enough to do a USA book. So we went further and we, we sort of uh, roped in anybody, students of ours, uh, colleagues, friends across the country. We ended up collecting first period stories from 25 states. I really wanted to get all 50 states, but anyway, that, that was not to be. But so from across the 25 states, we picked out period stories, which are a whole separate section of the book. And then we looked across all the questions that we collected and we decided to include the questions that were asked the most, the myths that girl had heard the most. And so, so girls for sure basically wrote sections of the book and then we wrote some of the others. And then we went back to girls, very the target age group of girls 
to get all of their opinions, recommendations, and edits. So we would make sure the product was as good as it could be. This is why I love working with young people because they teach us so much, especially about what they need, and they can be very kind and honest about it. So I really appreciate that you have these stories. And we'll talk a little further in our conversation about some sample stories. I also want to say, if you're a caregiver listening in, this book you can pick up very easily. Again, it's called A Girl's Guide to Puberty and Periods. There's also my book, The Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. That's for caregivers. And it's questions that I've been asked from children when I've taught K through 12, particularly more during those puberty sessions. So that's more grades four through six. And I have the questions in there and then very simple answers. Also, the Talk Puberty app is a way to guide conversations, but to provide simple information for you as a caregiver. Let's jump into some of the basic changes that most girls experience. And overall, what would you say are the basic changes that most girls need to know about? So they need to know, obviously, about a range of changes. And But, but your question makes me think of one interesting uh, piece of insight we got from a couple of girls, which I'll come back to. So for sure, they want they need to know about the physical changes both the physical changes that people will notice in them. So someone walking by them on the street or a relative who hasn't seen them for a while or a friend at school is going to notice sort of breast budding and starting to develop breasts. They're going to notice hips that start to develop. They're going to notice they start to get hair in some parts of their body, sort of under their arms or thicker in some places. Other changes, only girls themselves or those who are very intimately close to them, like parents or siblings may see, such as pubic hair and and other things that are more private. And then there, you know, is the menstrual cycle, which is very private in theory for a girl, but she does have to manage and learn how to manage and take care of it while she's in a household with other people, when she goes to school, when she goes on errands or goes to play. And so for the most part, that might remain something private, but if she's having heavy bleeding, if she's having cramps, that may become something that teachers or friends or other people need to know about so they can be supportive of her. So I think there is the enormity of all the physical changes that they are going through. But the the one that your question made me think about was the emotional changes and the way in which they may be feeling things they didn't feel before, the way they may notice that they react to things. And it's very confusing that something might upset them a lot that didn't used to upset them. And I, I had both girls, when we content tested the book with us, say, emphasized to me how important it was that we talked about feelings and emotions in the book, that we didn't just talk about the physical changes. And then as part of that content testing, when we shared the book with parents as well, who had young people in this age group, I cannot tell you the number of parents who said, you must have more about big feelings in the book. And so we thought we had a fair amount on emotions, but we added two pages on big feelings, but we didn't just say they will have big feelings. We, we listened to the girls and to the parents, and we added little solutions for if you are feeling these big feelings, what to do about them and ways in which to manage them. So I think, you know, they're all the physical, getting taller, weighing more, becoming more curvy, the more sort of sex specific changes that happen. Um, and then there's all the inside sort of emotional change that occurs. Thanks for reminding us. Yes, those emotional changes. We're aware of our emotions and then how do we cope with them? And I love that because we do have to figure it out and every person's different for how they're going to express it or cope with their emotions. Right. And I think also just the reassuring that it's normal. 
you know, I think that just having constantly that reassurance, you know, that it's normal to get very upset about something, or it's normal to not know what to do with this changing body of yours. Well, let's jump to that breast development and breast budding. Overall, what do you want caregivers to know about that and talking with young people about that breast budding? You know, this is an interesting one. It didn't come up so much in our research, except that girls were interested to know who to talk to. It, it was interesting to hear that for some girls engaging in sports started to change with the breast budding because they didn't have access to good sort of equipped sports bras or things that would make them feel more comfortable continuing to be active after their breasts start to change. And then I've heard from parents that sometimes if girls have breast budding that occurs at a younger age than maybe it happened to them, or the fact that it isn't always equal, one breast and the other may not look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is a lot of encouragement and reassurance that goes into that to make sure both the girls and their families or caregivers or parents are comfortable. But I do think we need to pay more attention to the way in which puberty, certain changes, whether it's breasts developing or periods may then subsequently impact girls' engagement in sports or other activities because they're afraid of uh, having an accident, a menstrual accident, or afraid that they, they don't feel comfortable, physically comfortable jogging or running around um, yeah. without the right kind of bra. So I think we need to also do more to make sure girls are supported and that their way of living doesn't shift just because their bodies are changing. I love how you reminded me that parts aren't going to look the same. And I'll tell students, like, if you look at two things of yourself, like two eyes, your two hands, there's differences. They're not going to be exactly the same. So when we develop things like breasts, a person has testicles and a scrotum sac, it's not going to be the same. Going to periods. And I know I've gotten a lot of questions from young people about trying to be prepared. Like, how will I know I'm going to have a period? And say if I get my period and they pick all these like very unique situations of I'm going to be wearing white pants. I'm not going to have anybody around to talk with, you know, all these, these situations. What's your advice? You know, fantastic questions. I still worry about what color clothing I'm wearing. So I'm not sure that goes away just because you're not a little girl anymore. Uh, So fantastic thing to think about. So first of all, We can do better in terms of making sure the schools and adults around young people are prepared for that moment when it happens. So they feel comfortable saying, oh, my God, what is on my underwear or what what is on the back of my pants? Where do I know already I can easily and comfortably go and get a a menstrual product to support me or a change of clothes if I need them? Um, So I think that schools, families, we can do more uh, wherever those locations are in general to make sure that when that girl gets her period for the first time, if she's not with an adult who has product or a friend, that she doesn't need to worry about it. She knows who to go to. Or in my dream world, one day, all she has to do is go into any bathroom and there'll be products there, just like there's toilet paper. So we know we normalize periods. So I think changing the environment is something we can collectively do in our in our homes and, and places of work and school to make that easier. This came up all the time for girls, particularly around after they'd started their periods, not knowing when they're going to get it, how to be prepared. And I think that's one of the things that's probably most unsettling for for young people. And I'm not sure that those who don't menstruate appreciate this to the same degree is you never know when you're going to get it. It's just this mystery. And you can Mm -hmm. kind of guess it'll probably be 28 to 35 days, but it may not be, particularly not the first two years after you're menstruating when 
oftentimes young people have irregular periods until they sort of get settled, their bodies get settled. So I think what we advise the girls in the book are a number of things. One, when they're going to school or they're out and about, just always to carry some product with them. That way they're always prepared and and not only to have product, but if down the road, menstrual cramps are a severe issue for them, maybe carrying around sort of pain medicine or something, whatever it is they're going to need so that they feel comfortable going around and they have supplies in case they need them. The second thing is something I started to do a long time ago was track my period, always mark down the day when I got it. So I could have generally a rough idea of the week in which I was probably going to get it. And of course, sometimes your body gives you signs, you start to feel bloated, your breasts hurt, maybe you get a little moody feeling, you get a pimple, you know, there are ways in which maybe your body will message, but it might not. That's not true, obviously, for all girls. So so one is to keep track for yourself. Another thing which has come of age since I was young is these menstrual tracking apps. Um, There is usually an age limit. Oftentimes you have to be 13 or over to use them, but that could be something if you're younger that a mother or an older sister or caregiver could help you log. And I think that's really helpful because one of the things that I find interesting in the research space is we sometimes ask people, or even when you go to the doctor, what was the date of your last menstrual period? And honestly, for the life of me, I could not tell you. I can't remember if it was a Monday or a Friday or what what date it was of the month. It's just not one of those things of all the things you're thinking about uh, that I retain. And so maybe everybody else is different from me, but I think it can be really helpful and reassuring um, to keep a track, keep a tracking sort of system somewhere, just so that you you have that flag to yourself as a young person. And then, of course, in the school environment, teachers can be keeping their eyes out for uh, girls who may have an accident. They can talk about it openly, not obviously talk at that girl, but have everybody in the class recognize they need to be supportive of young people and not ashamed. I'm hearing you say definitely give a heads up to young people. And I have heard from so many young people who identify as female saying, I had no idea that I was even going to get a period. Period is the nickname for when you have the menstrual cycle being released, the fluids from the menstrual cycle being released. But so many young people have said, yeah, I did not know. I thought it was dying. So please, if you're a caregiver and you have a girl in your life, please give her a heads up that this will happen. And it's a natural thing. And it's an actual cool process that our body is cleansing itself. Yeah. One of the things just, I'm going to jump to the book real quickly because of that great point you're making is, so in the book, there's eight first period stories. And I would say that directly from girls, there's only one that maybe has a tiny edit. I can remember, but the, the majority of those stories are girls who got, they wrote stories. We didn't write them adolescent girls across the country who wrote about getting their period for the first time, not knowing that it was coming and how they managed. It was not always fun. Sometimes they were at school, sometimes they couldn't get anyone to pay attention, but how they managed and coped with it. And then we always ask girls to write at the end of all our stories, which is also in the book, their advice for younger girls. Hmm, Um, And I think that the point of the stories is so that girls can say, oh my God, I won't be the only one. You know, maybe other people got it in math class. You know, maybe other people got it when they were out playing in the park with their family. And so just to kind of, again, reassure them of the normalcy and some, give them some tips on who to talk to, wrap a sweater around your waist, you know, all different things you can do just to manage in that moment. Because I think up until then, blood is always something scary. And so to suddenly see blood, it's like, why wouldn't that be scary? That's totally logical. And the other thing in the book, which we've heard not all books include, 
is we actually have an illustration with all the different colors of menstrual blood, because mm, I think okay. sometimes people think it's bright red, but it's not bright red. It could be brown. It could be, you know, maroon. It could be. And so I think that's another misconception is what it's actually going to look like when it finally arrives. I love that you have that because there is such diversity in the color of the fluids that come out of us. And if you're an educator listening in, I need you to talk with your students and say that if they do have an experience where they suddenly get a period, that there are subtle ways you can get them a pad. I remember being in a class numerous times where a student came to me and if it was students doing a project or something or working in groups, that was easy. I can just get them a pad very easily. But if they came to the, like the beginning of the class and I was doing an intro and anticipatory set, I can say, oh yeah. And I would have pads in an envelope in my desk already prepared. And I would say, yeah, just give this to Mr. Guestwick, who was a teacher in our school or something. And nobody knew, nobody knew. So there's very subtle ways we can get girls products if they need. And they can also go to a school nurse if they have a school nurse. I do also want to do a little plug here. We had somebody on the podcast that talked about the awesome period box. And there are actual products that family members or other caregivers can get for a girl before she has a menstrual cycle. And it's all this information in in there, as well as some pads, or there might be a menstrual cup, something like that, because this is something that they can get excited about once they get it. It doesn't have to be this, oh my goodness, no, because your cycle typically will continue approximately once a month, unless there's a pregnancy, until you hit this midpoint of your life of perimenopause and menopause. So it's something that you you can celebrate or feel like this is really neat. My body can do this. Now, do you have recommendations for helping girls in particular with these bodily occurrences. I mean, certainly we talked about talking with young people and I just said, you know, have like the awesome period box, but are there other recommendations? Yeah. You know what we do throughout the book, which, and one of the things we really emphasize in the book and the way I see the book, having talked to parents and and caregivers around the world, a lot of parents and caregivers I have found do not want to have this conversation. Uh, They get super uncomfortable I understand that. Uh, And so the way we see the book is like a tool. Uh, You hand it to a girl. She can go read it. She can go tuck away in a room. And then if she has questions, she can come and get your book. (laughs) The parents can use your book to answer her questions. But I think that just giving, using it as a tool for girls to go and read, to understand what's happening. Um, And throughout the book, what we do is we, we encourage girls to seek someone out if they have more questions. But because we know girls' lives are very uh, diverse across this country, we really try to encourage a range of people. You know, is it your school nurse? Is it a guidance counselor? Is it a friend? Is it your dad? Is it a grandmother? You know, we don't try to say, you know, you must go talk to this parent, but we really try to encourage all different people as being potentially good sources of information. Uh, The other thing that we did is we developed a companion set of animated short little puberty videos. They also can be found at the website, agirlsguide.org. There's six cute little videos. Four of them are about periods. Two of them um, are about other changes of puberty. I think that can be another way. And they all have little lessons at the end. Like if you get your period in school, Superflow, the menstruation superhero comes to help you. But really the message is tie a sweater around your waist. Um, So there's a bunch of messages in those videos. So there's other ways to learn about this. But I think 
the most important things is for girls to have information and also to know who they can talk to. Even once when I was overseas in another country, I gave this book to a woman in a, a government office who was a, a doctor. She was an OB, you know, an OBGYN. Um, and she said she was supposed to give it to her higher ups. But what she did is she gave it to her daughter because I went back two mm, days later nice. and she said, I just want you to know. I'm an OBGYN and my daughter was refusing to talk to me. Um, And I gave her this book and she ran away and slammed the door and came back an hour later and had all these questions. And so to me, I thought if somebody whose whole doctoring is about body change and, 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 and those things couldn't get her daughter to talk to her, what's the average parent supposed to do? But that just emphasized for me how sometimes it's really wonderful for young people, not all young people, to be able to learn privately through a book or a, a video you think is safe and then come to you with the questions if they have them. I love that you said that because my former gynecologist used the discussion cards, my app, the Talk Puberty app, I have on discussion cards so people can go to my website and and check those out there. And now it's an app so you can use the phone. But she had said, she's this wonderful person that can talk to me about anything about my reproductive system. Yet when it came to her two twin girls, she was like, I'm not sure what to do. And she's like, those discussion cards just lit them up and they were talking amongst themselves and they would come to me one more than the other. So to provide tools, I love that you use the word tools. That's what we're trying to do to increase people's self-efficacy or feeling of comfort to go and talk with someone. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a story from your own growing up experience that you wish to share during this time? You know, I I don't know. The story that I was thinking about just when you started to say that is, for all the work that I now do on puberty and periods, when I got my first period, I, I was 12. So I was right on average. I wasn't young. I wasn't old. I was right in the middle. I went to an all-girls school. I burst into tears. I saw blood on the sheets and I burst into tears and I went running for my mother. Now, of course, not everybody is a mother. Not everybody even wants to tell their mother. But it was it's just interesting to me. And I don't think it's that I thought I was dying. I think it's, I knew what it was, but I was overwhelmed that, oh no, now I have to be a woman. And I think maybe we don't talk about that enough either. All that is laden with this one thing that's a natural part of our body changes. And so I think that that has stayed with me. And that's partly why I deeply believe kids should have this book before they get their period. So they don't burst into tears like I did, Um, just so that they really can understand this is a natural part of grip. We don't not... I understand the messaging when I was growing up. Oh, now you're a young woman. But that didn't work. Like some people love that. They're like, oh, now I'm a grown up. You know, that works for them. But for me, that was just overwhelming. The same thing happened when my mother said I had to go bra shopping. I was like, oh, I don't want a bra. You know, I don't want to be grown up. So I think we have to respect this range of some people are excited at the changes. Other people are afraid or embarrassed or uncomfortable. And, and so again, information is power uh, and support is essential. Uh, so young people are, are ready for it and it doesn't come laden with too many other sort of expectations around it. Thank you for sharing that because those emotions all of a sudden can come up and it is a, a change in our life. You reminded me that I don't remember so much like having an emotional attachment to when I had my first period. I do remember though, the impact that other people had on me when my body changed, particularly my curves, when my breasts began to develop and the hips. And sometimes it was extremely uncomfortable. 
Mm. in which the other thing we need to do in my eyes with young people is that we need to empower children to go and talk with a trusted adult when they feel uncomfortable from somebody else, whether it be an older child or an adult. It was my neighbor who really grossed me out. Mm. He would check out my body and say, oh, you're really growing now. And I could feel his eyes going up and down. Very inappropriate to do to a young person. We might note it, you know, like I'll note if I was teaching young people that, yeah, they're changing, yet to look at them in a way that is inappropriate is so unethical to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I hope more people talk about that now. You know, I think the world has changed probably. In fact, I'm sure not enough. Um, But, you know, if just to sort of call out that behavior, not in a way that embarrasses the kid, the young person, obviously. uh, But if you if anybody does see an adult and maybe it's not even meant, some of it may be met in very inappropriate ways. Some of it may just be insensitive. And I think we need to be both appropriate and sensitive uh, and not uh, not and, and sort of respect the importance of both those things, because you really puberty, which I know all your work I'm sure focuses on is like a foundational time. You want people to feel good about their bodies then because everything else follows on that, right? That builds out over that and the way they feel about their body. It's such a critical phase of building confidence about your body as it's rapidly changing and you're getting these reactions from the positive to the inappropriate. So um, I think that it is for all of us around young people to remember your point uh, and, and make sure we we sort of say something to somebody if they're not appropriate and also just being mindful of the need to be sensitive. So, yeah. If you're an adult and you've done that and you didn't realize, you know, you were like, Oh, you're just growing up and a child maybe gave you the body language. They felt uncomfortable. Feel free to apologize and say, well, I was saying this because I recognize you're getting older. My intent wasn't to have you feel uncomfortable for sure. So, cause I know it's, it's challenging too. Some of us were not taught any of that. Like, how do we talk about this topic? So there are sometimes barriers and things we have to correct. Yeah. Now, do you have any other words of advice for caregivers regarding this topic or growing up? I think that number one is to make sure young people know where to get the solid information they can trust. And what, even if they don't feel comfortable talking about it, that's Okay give them a book or find someone who can talk to them. One of the things I was reading recently was was saying how parents often think that their kids don't want to talk to them about it, that it feels weird. And then we hear kids say, I want my parent to, like, I want someone who I trust to tell me what's happening to explain it. So, so maybe it is just leaving the book lying around or sending a couple videos for them to watch or whatever it is, or finding that person who they feel safe, making sure they're in a puberty workshop or they get that information somewhere if it's not you. So I think that really is um, caregiver's responsibility, but in a way that doesn't have to be uncomfortable for them as well. How about advice for young people if they're listening in? Do you have any? One, you're amazing because we couldn't have done this book without <laughs> young people. So I have uh, all all love for young people and the wisdom they have and the insight they have into what they what they need to know. Only they know what they need to know and and what questions they that we should be answering. But I would say seek out that information, but seek it out from a trustworthy source. That would be one thing. Uh, make sure that whatever you're learning about your bodies is coming from from a place that it really is trustworthy, that is factual, that is encouraging and not negative. Um, the other Another thing I think is something to think about as a young person, and I noticed this when we were testing the puberty videos, the animated videos that are on our website, is I would ask the girls, you know, would you share this with your another girl? 
And, and, and consistently they would say, I would share it with a friend if I thought she was having issues, like she needed it, which okay. I thought was beautiful, but I'd like puberty to be so normal that funny little animated videos about puberty could be shared, whether you think someone's having trouble or not, that it just becomes right. one of those things we don't need to be embarrassed about. So I would say sort of not assuming your peers, your friends are doing great and that they're super comfortable with it and recognizing it's a weird time for everybody uh, and that there is a solidarity if you can help each other through this period and uh, share tips and insights and, and good places to learn about it. Great points. And it's so neat, again, that you appreciate the wisdom of younger folks because they, they teach us so much. Yes, absolutely. Now, if somebody would like to get in touch with you, Marnie, how can they, what can they do? Where can they go to find you? So two ways. One, they could go to the book website, which is agirlsdie.org. They can Google my name, Marnie Sommer or Marnie Summer. Summer, the season spelled with an O and my faculty webpage will pop up and they can find my email at Columbia University or they can email me at marnie at growano.org. So all sorts of possibilities. And what I'll do is I'll make sure that there's a link for you in the description of today's episode so people can easily find you there. Great. Sounds terrific. I thank you so much for your time today. I really do. And I'm so glad that we're connected. We both have some New York history here that we can talk in the future when we see each other or connect to talk a little bit more about that. But I thank you so much for your wisdom and for sharing some information about more things that we can do for most girls. I really do appreciate your time today. And for the listeners that are uh, listening in today, those of you here, check out Dr. Summer's book, a Girl's Guide to Puberty and Periods, new body positive book designed to help girls understand what to expect about puberty and everything that goes with it. Also feel free to check out my book, The Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and the Talk Puberty app. There is a section that's specific for most girls in which there's basic questions. There's about 50 questions and then very simple answers that are aged and developmentally appropriate for young people. Thank you for listening in today, and I hope that you have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information, as well as ask questions to be answered by the Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.